Welcome back to the 2AM Book Review Club, where we stay up late talking about books or talk about books that made us stay up late. This week, we're continuing to celebrate the month of all things love with our romance novel extravaganza. And since we started this mini-series with two fantasy romance novels in a row, we are switching things up this week with The Mozart Code by Rachel McMillan, a Cold War spy story featuring a marriage of convenience between two British aristocrats who are going undercover in Vienna. We have Lady Sophia Huntington Villiers, codenamed Starling, who finds cultural artifacts that have gone missing in the aftermath of World War II for high-end clients, and we also have Simon Barrington, who is dedicated to making sure that Austria does not fall behind the Iron Curtain. Again, Cold War stuff. This is a particularly difficult task in post-war Vienna because the city has been partitioned between the increasingly unallied allies which means that you have so many competing interests working towards goals that are essentially incompatible. Some parties are working towards Austrian independence, some parties are working towards Soviet conquest, and some parties do not have any firm ideological convictions and are only working towards their own self-interest. And the problem is that you never really know who is working for whom or what each person's real motivations and goals are. Essentially, our characters are spies within a city of spies. The reason the book is called The Mozart Code is because Sophia has been tasked with finding Mozart's death mask, a legendary item that might not even exist. But if it does exist, then many of the competing interests in Vienna are interested in it because due to Mozart's unique cultural importance in Vienna, his death mask could be used as a pawn by all sides to advance their own agendas. And of course, Sophia's dilemma here is that she doesn't actually know what is going on or who is behind this request what is this person's motivation? Could it somehow be related to Simon's mission to take down Eternity, the super secret Soviet spy ring that has infiltrated Vienna? 
as Sophie and Simon work together to figure out what's going on, they find it more and more difficult to ignore their feelings for each other. But of course, as danger and intrigue contribute to the rising tension, this is the worst possible time to be falling in love, etc, etc. I picked up the Mozart Code because... I love spy stories, especially spy stories involving romance, and it's been a while since I read a story like this. I also love marriage of convenience romances, it's one of my favorite romance tropes, and I am also fascinated by both Vienna and Mozart. Also, this book was blurbed by both Kate Quinn and also India Holton, and if India Holton's name sounds familiar, then it should, because we talked about her book, The Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels, last week. I love both of these authors' books, and even though I know that blurbs are purposefully written, and primarily written, as advertisements, I'm just going to read you India Holton's blurb just so you can see why it pulled me in, even as a seasoned reader. With its elegant prose and beautifully nuanced characters, the Mozart Code is a joy to read. As luminous as Vienna after the rain and as lyrical as a piece of classical music, it takes the reader not only through a captivating tale of espionage, but also deep into the experience of love. Historical romance fans will swoon over Simon and Sophie and their journey towards peace. I mean, come on, this is emotional manipulation at its finest. So that's what this book, The Mozart Code, is about, and that's why I chose it for this week's episode. And now, let's talk about this book. And more specifically, let's talk about my complicated feelings towards it, because while the first two episodes in this mini-series were basically me enthusing over two books I really loved, this is, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your viewpoint, going to be a more nuanced episode, because this is a more nuanced book dealing with more nuanced topics, and therefore it has generated more nuanced thoughts. So let's do this. Let's talk about the things I appreciate and the things I think could have been done better in this week's book, The Mozart Code. Given that this is, as I said, a Cold War spy story, the biggest focus of the book is, of course, the espionage the spy stuff, and more broadly, the historical context that informs the circumstances in which all this espionage is taking place. As I mentioned earlier, Vienna in this post-war era, and we're talking right after the end of the war, so 1946 to 1947, is a city that is intensely divided in its loyalties. It is still suffering deeply from the ravages of the war, 
and it's still trying to rebuild amidst all the chaos of these different factions trying to cause trouble for each other. There are people living in tents just trying to survive, and then you have everyone else, the soldiers enforcing the different zones that belong to different countries, the politicians and academics and influential thinkers trying to bring about their vision of Austria's future, and of course, the spies who act for and against these various factions as they pursue their own personal agendas. But obviously, all of this is just a high-level background that helps us understand what's going on. In terms of the spy stuff that actually occurs in this book, the Mozart Code, a lot of it boils down to conversations. Sophie and Simon go around talking to various people and trying to figure out both what those people know and also if they're lying. Simon also has a subplot where he exchanges letters with a mysterious adversary who he thinks might be a double agent. There are also more intense sequences, including bumbling henchmen, dangerous cars, and even a very unexpected torture sequence late in the book, but for the most part, this definitely is not Mission Impossible. The espionage mostly consists of mind games and subtext and coming up with ways to encrypt valuable information. You know, much of the mundane, routine stuff that takes up the day-to-day -day life of a spy. And if this is making the book sound less exciting than you imagined it would be, then welcome to the club because that was also my first impression. It took me a while to get into this story. I was honestly so close to DNFing it, but those pull quotes at the beginning kept bringing me back in because I was like, surely there has to be a reason two authors I really like are recommending this book so enthusiastically. And just to illustrate how long it took me to get into the Mozart Code, I didn't actually start caring about anything that was going on until chapter 5, fully 112 pages into the ebook, which, which I realize is only 50-something actual physical pages, but still. And the problem, the reason I had so much trouble getting into this book, largely comes down to the pacing. The Mozart Code is historical fiction, and in historical fiction, it's pretty standard practice for authors to talk about the historical background that inspired their books. They like to talk about what is and isn't grounded in historical fact. They cite their sources. It's all very interesting to me and probably not very interesting to the vast majority of readers. But like I said, including this information is standard practice. 
But what is not standard practice is to put all of your historical background at the very beginning of the book, before the story has even had a chance to get started. Before the story begins, we get an entire essay on Vienna, Prague, the Marshall Plan, Bletchley Park, the Death Mask, Mozart, civilians and espionage, the fall of the Iron Curtain, and a sidebar about tall women. And again, all of that is even before we've reached chapter one. However, while this is an unusual choice, I don't think it's necessarily a bad choice. Vienna is, unfortunately, in my opinion, not a common choice as a historical fiction setting, and Cold War Vienna is even more confusing as a setting to suddenly stick your readers in without any setup. But also, this historical background, primer, essay, whatever you want to call it, is clearly divorced from the actual story, which means that you can read it if you want to, but it's also completely possible to just skip to the story. The problem is that when you do finally get to chapter one, you immediately start drowning in historical exposition. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Here's an excerpt from the first couple of pages. Before the war, Hoffer family industries had been a leviathan of industry, settled amid power plants and near the Aspern airfield. The Nazis had seen to its repurpose for their own munitions gains. Now the Soviets spread out on the other side of the Danube, their influence creeping into the border between Vienna and Lower Austria. No matter the Hoffer family's political allegiances, their precarious position in the minefield of shifting ideologies made their sudden interest in uranium production stand out to the secret intelligence service, given the European interest and fear in atomic warfare. The Americans had not only changed the game of war, but had overseen the shift of the world's greatest threat, from Nazi terror to the ability to obliterate entire populations with the press of a button. Simon's interest was a matter of deciphering how the Hoffers would exchange information and through what means. Austria had enough academics, scientists, and curious minds affiliated with the eternity spy ring committed to pursuing this new war. Simon's leads on eternity had struck hot the moment he settled in Vienna but they had begun to slowly dwindle after the June election. The communist shadow loomed large long before the war. Simon was familiar with the movement of the first half of the century when it spilled through the first Austrian Republic. Then, after the first war, when the last of its monarch rule fell and the social democrats rose to power, Red Vienna presented many of the similar ideologies that were advancing the Soviet agenda now. 
Okay, so maybe maybe I went a little overboard with the length and dramatic reading of the excerpt, but I really wanted to drive home how absolutely overwhelming the exposition is in the first couple of chapters of this book. It really, really affects the pacing of the book and just drags the momentum of the story down to a crawl. But the real problem isn't that the author seems just a bit too eager to tell us everything she's learned in the course of her research. The real problem is that while all of this exposition is going on, the story is not happening because the characters cannot do anything while they're busy explaining stuff to us, the readers. And because the characters are not doing anything, it's really, really hard to care about them. And at least for me, if I don't care about the characters, then it's really, really hard for me to care about the story itself. I love history as much or maybe more than the next person. I mean, a substantial part of my reading is history books that would bore 99% of my listeners to death. But I don't come to historical fiction to read a regurgitation of everything that the author has learned. I approach historical fiction the same way I approach every other fictional genre. I'm here because I'm looking for compelling, interesting, complex characters, or at the very least, characters I enjoy spending time with. And the problem with the pacing in the Mozart Code is that it takes way too long for the readers to get a feel for who our main characters are, what they want, and how they see the world. Basically, here's what I'm trying to say. The Mozart Code establishes itself right away as a well-researched, well-thought-out, deeply historically-informed story. But because it is so focused on doing that, it kind of forgets that in fiction, setting and exposition are only pieces in the larger picture of the craft of writing fiction. However, I do want to clarify that while I did have trouble getting into the book, I did eventually get into it around chapter 5, and guess what chapter 5 is? It's a character-driven flashback to Simon and Sophie's first meeting and how their friendship began, and it really helped me to understand who these characters are, where they came from, and why they connect so well on a personal level. What I'm trying to say is that I only started caring about the story when I started caring about the characters, and I only started caring about the characters when the author gave me a reason to care about them. And I do care about our main characters, Sophie and Simon. On an intellectual level, I did think that the historical context and the espionage, the ciphers, the mind games, the crossing and double crossing and secrets and betrayals, all of that was definitely interesting, at least to me. 
But the emotional core of any story is its characters, and I found both Sophie and Simon to be incredibly interesting and nuanced, there's that word again, characters. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Sophie and Simon are both British aristocrats, but they occupy slightly different positions within the British aristocracy because this is British society and they absolutely revel in minute and pointless differences. Simon is an illegitimate child, the result of his mother's secret love affair, which makes him his abusive father's favorite target. He's received all of the so-called benefits of being raised in high society, culture, breeding, manners, but none of that can make up for the emotional emptiness of his childhood. The feeling that he's only ever conditionally accepted for his good looks and accomplishments. Sophie, on the other hand, does not have this social handicap, but she does really, really struggle with the weight of living as a woman in this incredibly rigid patriarchal social structure. She's been taught that love and attachment and other sincere emotions can make her vulnerable in a system that inherently works against her. So both Sophie and Simon have been deeply hurt by the society in which they were raised. And once they meet, these two deeply hurt characters find refuge in each other. But just as they're able to help each other, they're also capable of hurting each other as well. It's an intense relationship and also a difficult one to navigate. And there's a lot of nuance in their interactions, especially in this high stakes, deeply fraught environment. But while all of this is great, the problem is that Sophie and Simon, and therefore the book itself, is only interesting and nuanced up to a point. And here's where I want to talk about one of my favorite writing craft elements, which of course is themes. There are a lot of interesting themes that come up throughout this book. As I mentioned, Sophie and Simon's characters introduce themes of how people can be hurt by the societies and subcultures in which they're raised, and I also liked the themes of culture and heritage and how those things can be weaponized politically. And of course, given the title of the book, you know that one of the biggest cultural arguments in this book centers around Mozart and classical music and how people feel and think about those things, which is incredibly interesting to read about as someone who does know a bit about classical music. However, what was frustrating for me personally is that while all of these themes are brought up, very few of them are fully explored or resolved. At the end of the day, these themes feel half-baked because they have very little influence over the characters or their actions. At the end of the day, Sophie and Simon are most influenced by the fluctuations in their emotional attachments to each other, not how they perceive the world. And in particular, I want to point 
to the identity of Simon's birth father, his connection to Simon's mother, and the revelation of who she really was as a person. When I got to this twist in the book, which I will not be spoiling, don't worry, I kind of assumed that it would have an enormous impact on Simon's worldview and on how he remembers his mother and might even affect his motivations as a spy. But these revelations kind of went nowhere in the end. They didn't substantially end up influencing who Simon is as a character or how he views the world because, of course, there's Sophie and she is more important than his identity or his self-perception or life itself. And that's very romantic and all, not sarcasm, by the way, I do think it's romantic, but it does make him feel shallow as a character. And in turn, these half-baked themes make the story feel more shallow overall. As a writer, I kind of understand the author's dilemma because she does bring up some very thorny ethical and philosophical and political issues, but on the other hand, I also feel like you shouldn't bring up difficult themes if you're not prepared to fully follow through on them. Characters are essential in providing the emotional core of the story, but themes provide the intellectual core and in a spy story revolving around mind games and secrets the intellectual core really shouldn't feel like it's lacking all right we've talked about the plot the characters and the themes so of course it's finally time to talk about the romance Again, need I remind you, this is our romance extravaganza, so talking about romance is kind of the point. I'll admit that going into this book, The Mozart Code, I did have kind of a preconceived notion as to what type of romance I was going to get. Romantic suspense is a genre I occasionally dabble in, and generally speaking, for this kind of spy story, I expected there to be a lot of tension, a lot of mistrust, and I'm just gonna say it, a lot of steam, a lot of spice, especially given the marriage of convenience angle. And um, that is a pretty far cry from what I actually got in the Mozart code. Part of this comes down to the characters. Sophie and Simon are friends, first and foremost. They have a lot of history before they ever get to the whole marriage of convenience thing. And the heart of their connection is how well they understand each other emotionally. But also, this is a book written by an author who primarily writes cozy mysteries. And this book, The Mozart Code, is basically a cozy mystery dressed up as a spy story. There's danger, there's intrigue, but there's no real suspense, no overriding tension permeating the story. Scary things happen when the story needs to move forward, but honestly, I've read more thrilling Nancy Drew books, which, by the way, is why the interrogation slash torture scene 
felt so out of place. But back to the romance. Because this is essentially a cozy thriller, I guess you would call it, the romance is also very, very similar to the kinds of romantic subplots you tend to read in cozy mystery series. It's sweet, it's wholesome, it's even emotional, but it never gets too intense or too angsty or too dramatic. There are moments in this book where Sophie and Simon's love story really gets to me. Their banter can be really fun, their emotional vulnerability is truly touching, and I love their journey of emotional discovery, but I also don't think it's the most memorable or most exciting romance I've ever read. Overall, The Mozart Code is a cozy spy thriller with interesting ideas that could have been better executed and a romance that happens between two complex, nuanced, deeply hurt characters. The setting is unique, the themes are thought-provoking, and the premise has a lot of potential, but the pacing is off, the story isn't as deep as it could have been, and where I was expecting a more traditional spy thriller, I instead got a glorified cozy mystery. I would recommend this book to people who enjoyed C.W. Gortner's The Tudor Secret, which revolves around a young man who navigates the Tudor court as a novice spy, and also fans of Ashley Weaver's Electra McDonnell Cozy Mystery series, which chronicles the adventures of a thief-turned-World War II spy. The Tudor Secret has similar intrigues and mind games happening in a glamorous environment that's only possible because everyone else lives in squalor, and the Electra McDonald series has a similar level of danger and intrigue that is never too dangerous or scary. If you're looking for a slow-paced, immersive, well-researched Cold War spy story that is not quite a mystery and not quite a thriller, if you like sweet, wholesome romances, and if you have an interest in classical music, Mozart, or chess, then the Mozart Code could be for you. Before I sign off, I do need to point out an important issue with the ebook because the section breaks in the chapters cut across to the next page, which leads to some words becoming unreadable. So, a warning to ebook readers and hopefully a shout out to the publisher because, hey, your ebook has a serious formatting issue. All right, that's going to be everything for this episode. This has been the 2AM Book Review Club. Thanks so much for joining me, and I'll be back next week at 2 a.m. Until then, have a great week, and happy book travels.